Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. So there is an ethnic component, a religious component. China would say a national security component. It considers Uyghurs to be terrorists. I think that is about loyalty to the Communist Party, some of the political aspects. And then there is this major just dollars and cents component as well. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. We are back in our studios after a fantastic end of week slash weekend in Texas with Abilene Christian University and our final stop in Dallas on the Nuance Nation tour. And it was a big finale. I'm so grateful. I was a little weepy, like, that the evening and ever since we've been back. It was a wonderful time. Our volunteers could not have been more wonderful in Texas and throughout this tour. And that's so appropriate because y'all made this tour happen. If you'll remember, we did this because we set a goal on Patreon that was like our stretch goal and you all blew it away. And that's how we were able to do the tour, that and the participation of volunteers across the country and the team in Texas went above and beyond. Everything was beautiful. And we're just so humbled and grateful that you all took time on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights to come think about democracy with us. And we're giant suckers for your company. So don't worry if you missed the Nuance Nation tour, because listen, these live shows are going to start becoming a regular part of our travel schedule. And so just just keep your eyes and ears open because I promise you over 2020, we'll be all over the United States and hopefully near you sometime soon. 
We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to focus our main segment on what's happening in China to the Uyghur population. If you haven't heard about this, stay with us. It's really important. But before that, we're going to talk about U.S. news and Bolivia's elections. So I don't know if you know this, Sarah, but we are going to have some public hearings this week. Oh, my Lord. All the news briefings today as we're recording Monday were so, I mean, sillies might be not the best word, but... They clearly, you know, I don't know if it's a slow news day. I don't really feel like it's a slow news day after perusing other stories. But the number one story for Monday was something big's going to happen on Wednesday, guys. It is going to be pretty big. I really appreciated Axios putting this into context by saying, remember the Watergate hearings? About 80 percent of Americans watched at least part of it. It became the daytime soap opera for the United States. So it is big. We are at a big moment in history. It is also funny that we're going to write about how it's going to be really big later. Well, I think it will absolutely become America's daytime soap opera again. If for no other reason, not its historical importance, not the political impact, not the um, rule of law implications for what we're going to be talking about in these testimonies, but because I think America is hungry for shared experiences. <laughs> and I think they will adopt this one. And I, I feel like it's going to be another, here's our chance to share, watch something in real time, which we don't do a lot anymore. And I'm interested to see sort of how that bubbles up in everyday life and where I hear or see or talk to people watching the impeachment hearings. I hope our audience feels well prepared going into these hearings. One thing we have not talked a lot about because it's really just kind of coming into my consciousness as I spend more time with the transcripts from the closed proceeding testimony is what Republicans' strategies will be in the public hearings. We've said all along, Republicans are just complaining that the process is secret. What are they going to do when the process becomes public? And you can see a little glimpse of that in some of these transcripts that Republicans are going to keep complaining about the process. They're just going to keep going with that, that all of this is sort of fruit from a poison tree. You've heard that with Lindsey Graham's remarks. It began in secret, and so nothing about it can be valid. So we'll probably hear some of that. We also are going to hear Republicans lean into the possibility that President Trump was right about Ukraine being involved in the 2016 election because of a Politico story that is several years old about a few individuals within Ukraine being supportive of Hillary Clinton. And Ambassador Taylor and to a much greater extent Fiona Hill talked about how there is a difference between individuals in Ukraine and the Ukrainian government taking positions about the election, although Ambassador Taylor especially was very disappointed that anyone in Ukraine from a government level was speaking publicly about a U.S. election. You can tell that he just he thinks this is really important that we don't do this to each other. But it did happen. And so they're going to take those little shavings of doubt that people might have about the president and try to build a fire with them into saying that something our intelligence agencies believe did not happen, happened. They also seem to be adopting a strategy you've been arguing for for a while. They, the congressional Democrats, which is abandoning the Latin, getting rid of the quid pro quo and just describing what went down as bribery or extortion. Yeah, I think if you want the public to understand this, you have to say it in words that the public will understand. And you already have kind of the there are some difficult names involved. Like there are some barriers. Americans don't think a lot about Ukraine, right? There are already some barriers to people really getting their arms around this story. So I think it's wise for Democrats to move away from quid pro quo into this is what mob bosses do. Well, at first I was like, oh, come on, America, you can do this, this for that. It's not hard, this for that. But even this for that, I think, is problematic because this for that does happen to a certain extent in diplomacy. There are exchanges. This for that, I think, is too neutral in a way, right? I think it, you really need to push to say it wasn't the normal this for that exchanges and diplomacy, it is something much more than that. It is asking for Ukrainian officials who are trying to abandon corruption to, you know, sort of eliminate the political influence in their rule of law to insert 
politics into their rule of law and prop up a conspiracy theory in exchange for military aid that is essential to both their national security and ours. That is more than this for that. So I think extortion and bribery are perfectly acceptable terms to shift to. We'll be following this closely. We will continue to talk about it on the nightly nuance between episodes and on Sarah's Instagram stories in the morning. So uh, we'll keep up with it best we can and we'll take as many of your questions as we want to lob our way. We have some electoral news. The weekend chatter was about Michael Bloomberg filing in Alabama, the state with the earliest filing deadline for the presidential election. Everybody was freaking out. He was going to entirely self-fund. We don't need Michael Bloomberg in the race. And now there's more reporting that he was basically using it as a test balloon and that his polling, and Michael Bloomberg is um, sort of famously data-driven, is not showing a path to victory for him and that this test balloon might not fly very high and it might already be over. I mean, this is kind of what I like about Michael Bloomberg. He's a data-driven guy. And he sought some data to decide what he was going to do and is probably going to be responsive to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just don't think this race needs more people. Right. And I worry that test balloons like this one continue to feed the idea that the perfect human is out there. Could right. we only find that person? Mm-hmm. We, we just have to make peace with the fact that once people start running, we don't like them anymore. It happens every <laughs> Especially time. women. Especially women. And once people start serving, we like them less, right? Because there's something in us that doesn't want individuals to hold power. And that's something that I think we would do well to work on. We also have the announcement that Peter King, controversial congressman from Long Island, won't be running for re-election after serving 14 terms. He said he has plenty of money and support, but wants to spend more time with his family, which is an excuse people are always suspicious of in Washington, D.C. Especially because he was like, it would have been really fun to run again. I mean, it was a weird statement that he put out. He's a weird dude. All of his statements are weird. But he's the 20th Republican in the House of Representatives who will not be seeking re-election. At some point, that starts to become fairly significant. I think we're already there, especially for in Texas. We talked about the Texodus on Friday in Dallas that almost all of the, the Republicans, especially the ones that came in. So I think in that sort of 1994 wave or the Tea Party wave are not running again. Well, let's flip to elections elsewhere in the world. On October 20th, Bolivia had an election. It was an odd election because its president, Mm -hmm. Evo Morales, was term limited. But he went to the Supreme Court of Bolivia and said, this term limit violates human rights. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, sure, let's get rid of term limits, which just kind of made my stomach hurt. So there was an election against former president Carlos Mesa. And as the votes are being counted, as soon as the polls closed, it looks like Morales had a tiny lead over his opponent. But then everybody just stopped counting the votes for 24 hours. And then they started counting again and showed a much bigger lead for Morales. And so he... A statistically improbable lead, according to election monitors. So he declared himself the winner. And then you saw massive protests. Three people died. Hundreds of people were injured. So as we started researching this story and I was reading the the news reports, I had like a flash of memory. I remember Evo Morales coming on The Daily Show like over a decade ago. I think when he was first elected, he was a socialist. I remember him being this like first indigenous person elected in Bolivia and what a big deal it was. And he was so encouraging. And it seemed like his election was going to be a turning point for Bolivia. It's so discouraging that he seemed to sort of concentrate power instead of really sort of dealing with the ebbs and flows of democracy. So in the middle of these protests, Morales says, "Okay, we'll have new elections because the Organization of American States detailed failures in the chain of custody for the ballots, forgery Mm -hmm, and alteration of ballots, redirection of data to unauthorized servers and data manipulation. And the military ultimately said, basically, we're not going to hold these protesters off anymore. And then the head of the army said Morales needs to go. And so he resigned. And so did his number two. And then the president of the Senate resigned. And so we're not really sure who's in charge in Bolivia right now. 
So the second vice president who's in line after the president of the Senate said she is willing to assume the presidency with the objective of calling for new elections, but she needs a a sort of a vote of confidence from Congress because I believe she's a member of the opposing party. Twenty members of Bolivia's government have sought refuge at the Mexican ambassador's resident. And by Sunday night, the president and vice president of the Electoral Council had resigned and been arrested for electoral crimes. So many are applauding the report and his decision to step down. But others, not surprisingly, on the other side of the aisle are calling it a coup. And so, you know, they're a little stuck in the in-between, but the protesters don't seem to be going home just because he called for it, just because he decided to resign. We're going to talk a little bit more about protests in our main segment. But before we turn our attention in that direction, a little good news and our compliments. Here's the good news first. The Trump administration is doing something that has bipartisan support. We'll just all take a breath and let that sink in for a second. The administration is suing Gilead Sciences for patent infringement. Gilead makes drugs that prevent the spread of HIV. And the administration says, hey, the patents for those drugs are owned by the federal government because scientists at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention developed those drugs. And the Department of Health and Human Services would like Gilead to obtain licenses to use those patents instead of just selling the drugs for around $20,000 each. Health and Human Services doesn't seem all that mad about the price, although many people and organizations around the world are very mad about the price. But it more says, listen, you have got to recognize the role that taxpayers played in getting you to this drug and pay up. Gilead says that the patents are invalid that it deserves credit for inventing the drugs and cites all of the investment it made to get the drugs through the FDA approval process. So this will be a big lawsuit, and I'm just happy that the administration is trying to hold a pharmaceutical company accountable for profiting off of the work of our CDC. So we are recording today's episode on Monday, November 11th, Veterans Day. And so both of us wanted to compliment, of course, not only our veterans and their families who have served this country and sacrificed for all of us, but a couple initiatives or statements regarding veterans and and their futures. I have a two-part compliment. First, I would like to compliment Pete Buttigieg because he said he would name a woman as the VA secretary. And if that makes your eyes roll, let me tell you why I think that's so important. The more time Sarah and I spend with women veterans, the more convinced I am that women have something fundamentally different to bring to military leadership that would be enormously helpful throughout the world and that would also help us address some really serious problems that I think, harm both women and men in our military. So I really appreciate that from Pete Buttigieg. My second compliment is for Ken Cuccinelli, who is not my favorite, because on Veterans Day today, he is holding a naturalization ceremony for 12 individuals who have served in our military and who are not yet citizens. And I think that is a first step in a long road of needing to provide citizenship to anyone who sacrifices for our country. So I'm glad that he's doing that today. I mean, I wish it was 120 instead of 12. Or or 1,200. You know, we could could go bigger here, but it's a start. So I wanted to compliment Capture the Endowment. It is a nonprofit organization that helps vets transition to civilian careers after their military service. They released a video that I shared in my Insta stories this morning with Jim Mattis, and it is just really wonderful. They talk about how if you want to honor a veteran, hire a veteran, and what I really love is... General Mattis describes it as post-traumatic growth and that he thinks people that come out of military service, no matter how difficult that service is, have so much to offer the private sector. And I love the idea that instead of um, empty thank yous and empty um, symbols and just gestures, doing something very concrete to honor those who have served in our military. So higher honor. I love it. Next up, we are going to talk about China and the Uyghurs. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. 
They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy both of us have been concerned with Uyghur population in China and the reporting about the Uyghur population, which I think has grown in urgency, especially as there have been increased protests in Hong Kong. As we dove into this population and the treatment from China, it brought up past protests with Tibet. And so before we dive into the Uyghurs, we did want to take a small second to update the situation in Hong Kong, which there continue to be massive protests that are increasingly violent. There was supposed to be a massive strike across the city that was canceled, but huge transit disruptions were taking place and really terrible violence. A 21-year-old protester was shot by a police officer. A middle-aged man who appeared to be accusing protesters of lacking Chinese patriotism was set on fire. And the demands of the protesters are getting hardened, according to reporters, that it sort of started with, let's resist this law, and now it's become, let's take revenge. And Carrie Lam has refused to step down, and she says, make no mistake, these protests will not be effective. And I think China's approach to these protests China's real unwillingness to give an inch here, to compromise Mm -hmm. in any way, to come to the table, is indicative of how you see Xi Jinping, the country's basically forever leader now, you know, until he dies. He's he's gotten rid of term limits for himself. His tightening 
of control in nearly every aspect of China's policy toward its territories and toward its people. And nowhere is that more clear and cruel than with respect to the Uyghurs. The Uyghur people are native to the Xinjiang Autonomous Region in China. They are one of China's 55 recognized ethnic minorities. China rejects the idea that the Uyghurs are indigenous to that region. It's very important to many Uyghur activists that they are. And it's hard for us to tell you much about that because the way that the word Uyghur has been used has been really fluid across history. The modern Uyghurs have a pretty diverse ancestry. And because the Chinese government is really concerned about ethnic separatism and Uyghur activists are really concerned about government interference with them, it's been hard to get better information about where the Uyghurs come from through DNA testing. So we're going to try to give you a sense of these people and their culture and history, but please know it is certainly not monolithic and we don't have perfect information. So somewhere between 1 million and 1.6 million Uyghurs live outside of China, and there are significant communities in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan, and smaller communities and countries throughout the world, including the U.S. and Australia. The Uyghurs started adopting Islam, we think, around the 10th century, and by the 16th century were majority Muslim. They have a long, conflict-ridden history. In 1765, there was a Uyghur rebellion against the ruling Manchus after several incidents of abuse, and the Manchu emperor ordered that the town of Uyghur rebels be massacred. Men were executed. Women and children were enslaved. There were other attempts to develop a separate kingdom of the Uyghurs. Some of those were temporarily successful. Uh, Joseph Stalin actually backed the Uyghurs against Chinese rule in the early 30s and 40s. But since the declaration of the People's Republic of China on October 1st, 1949, China has occupied about a sixth of its land mass, which is Uyghur territory. It's really interesting. I think the annexation of this particular area by China is seen as political, but sort of a manipulation of these fractures, some who supported a pan-Islamic movement, some who supported a pan-Turkic vision, um, some who wanted an independent state. But it's I don't know how much you dove into this history, but there was this plane of specific um, area and regional leaders that crashed over Russia um, that many are in the 1940s that was seen sort of as the end of any real resistance to this Chinese annexation. I think you're right to point out that a lot of people see it as political. It's also heavily economic Mm. because this territory is on the western side of China. It's an important link in the China Belt and Road Initiative, where China wants this massive development plan for all of Asia and Europe. It's home to the largest coal and natural gas reserves in China. So there is an ethnic component, a religious component. China would say a national security component. It considers Uyghurs to be terrorists. I think that is about loyalty to the Communist Party, some of the political aspects. And then there is this major just dollars and cents component as well. So 10 years ago, China violently suppressed demonstrations that sprung up among the Uyghurs. And then what you see is during that time, a particular leader inside the Communist Party, Chen Quango, who's in Tibet. And in Tibet, he is another area that has protested Chinese occupation, who are ethnically diverse from the Han Chinese. And he develops a strategy of surveillance. And what he does in Tibet is he divides it up into a grid system and he places police stations at regular intervals until it's this interlocked, pervasive security presence. He also assigns households to spy on each other as, um, you know, as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, something else you see a lot of in surveillance states. He called it the double-linked household management system. And so his, his surveillance strategy in Tibet is so successful that in 2016, he gets a promotion and they send him to Xinjiang. And because they consider Uyghurs terrorists and because they're expanding this police surveillance, you see 
cameras in the home of Uyghurs. You see looking at for what people, what kind of books people are buying. Are they growing beards? Do they have a prayer rug? All the even physicals that are required where they're scanning people's irises, they are recording their voice data. You really have complete and totally pervasive surveillance. So there's a high-tech aspect to this and a low-tech aspect as well, because they're watching for signs like if you stop smoking or drinking, you're suspected to be Islamic. Parents are not allowed to name their babies Mohammed and Medina. They're looking, as Sarah said, for beards. You cannot grow a long beard in China. It's against the law. You may not wear a veil in public. It's against the law. And cities in the Uyghur territory are split into squares of about 500 people with these police stations. And so they are really able to harness technology against these folks to watch their every move. And the people who violate the prevalent thoughts of the day about what makes you an enemy of China end up in mass detention camps. The Chinese government sometimes calls these re-education camps. Now they are calling them vocational training centers. If you've seen years and years, this reminds me so much of the erstwhiles. Mm -hmm. But it is very real. There could be more than a million people. Some estimates are two million people are in these camps. These people have not been charged with crimes. They do not have legal avenues to challenge their detentions. The Chinese government said people can leave whenever they want to. And people who've actually been in these camps and gotten free say absolutely not. And you hear just horrendous reports from inside these camps, medical experimentation, sexual violence, torture, Um, These quote-unquote vocational training centers are much more than that. People there are forced to pledge loyalty to the Communist Party, to renounce Islam, to sing praises for communism, to learn Mandarin. They're forcing people to eat during the fasting periods of Ramadan. Women are being raped and then forced to undergo abortions. It's, It's awful. There are also some really disturbing reports that you know, we can see with our own eyes or that we have more dependable reports on on than what's coming out of the camps. Um, you have a pair up and become family program started in 2017 where communist officials are sending Han Chinese, the majority ethnic group in China, to stay in Uyghur homes. Men are staying up to six days in homes. Um, many of the male house Uyghur members of the household are in detention. So the men are sleeping in beds with women running the household. Um, You're also seeing the destruction of Muslim religious sites. You can there was some really um, disturbing reporting from a man who, you know, he hasn't spoken to his father in months. So all he can do to try to report or sound the alarm about what's going on with the Uyghurs is to basically get on Google satellite and look at the difference in these sites. And you see destructions of temples and important Muslim sites. You've seen this also with Buddhist sites in Tibet. Um, one of the most sacred sites of for Buddhist monks in Tibet has been systematically just a third of it totally and completely destroyed. Um, so it's this multi-pronged um, approach. There is surveillance. There is detention. There is torture. There is destruction of religious sites. Um, and there is this sort of ethnic occupation down to the individual level level in people's homes. And the Chinese government says. We're not abusing that pair up and family program. People actually develop feelings for each other. You know, women Mm -hmm. aren't being raped and sexually harassed and assaulted. The Chinese government says it's, you know, it's really doing good for these folks, getting them ready to come back into employment, helping them learn the language. It's about assimilation. And as the individual that you were talking about, Sarah, Baram case and Tash shows, It's not just religious sites. Xi Jinping will flatten a dome on a department store if it looks too Islamic to him. So there is a real effort to just eradicate an entire religion and culture here. So what's being done about this? 
The United Nations human rights chief and other officials have demanded access to these camps. There has been one pretty highly orchestrated tour of the camps that people who were on the tour complained was not realistic at all. The European Union has called on China to change its policies. The United States and 23 other countries during the last UN General Assembly called on the government of China to uphold its national laws and international obligations and commitment to human rights and freedom of religion in a very direct call out about the treatment of Uyghurs. And human rights organizations have been on this for a couple of years now, urging China to shut down these camps and answer questions about disappeared Uyghurs. What I think is really disturbing is that you see even Uyghurs in other nations like Australia are so terrified of China's influence and economic ties outside of China that they're terrified to talk about it. You see some movement within the United States. The Treasury Department has blacklisted China's artificial intelligence startups last month that and are preventing them from buying U.S. products. We have visa restrictions on several officials. Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo have been critical. President Trump has said nothing about the plight of the Uyghurs. And then you also have legislation, which is very encouraging. The Senate unanimously approved bipartisan legislation sponsored by my former boss, proud to say, Robert Menendez and Marco Rubio, the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act. And this included reports from the Director of National Intelligence, um, an FBI report, and a report from the CEO of the U.S. Agency for Global Media reporting all of the efforts and the threats posed by these Chinese crackdowns. And it also urges high-level U.S. engagement on the issue and the application of the Global Magnitsky Act and related sanctions, the full implementation of the Frank R. Wolf International Religious Freedom Act, a review of Commerce Department export controls and end-user restrictions, and the establishment of a voluntary database whereby U.S. citizens can provide information regarding missing and detained family members with a view towards pressing for accountability. So this passed unanimously through the Senate. Companion legislation has been introduced in the House by U.S. Representative Tom Swosey, who's a Democrat out of New York, and Chris Smith, a Republican out of New Jersey. It's currently hanging out in the Crime, Terrorism, and Homeland Security Subcommittee. We're going to put a list of all the members of this subcommittee in the show notes. And so scan the list. And if your representative is on it, give them a call and tell them that you support this legislation and would like to see it move out of committee. That's something small that we can all do. Doing something small in the face of something so big is hard. And you see across the world what a vexing problem standing up to China becomes. In response Mm -hmm. to our Treasury Department's actions, which have been the harshest among all nations in protest of the treatment of the Uyghurs, China's government has said repeatedly that it is not helpful to our trade discussions for the United States to take a position on the Uyghurs. They say to the extent that there are any issues around the treatment of the Uyghurs, it is an internal issue. And it's basically China saying, none of your business, which China loves to say to anyone who questions the way the government treats its own people or Mm -hmm. the way the government interacts with the people of its territories. So you have that dynamic. You also have the dynamic of in opposition to those 23 countries who at the U.N. said this is wrong, about 50 countries, including Russia and Saudi Arabia and a number of majority Muslim countries, applauded China's efforts toward greater security and refused Mm. to be part of this condemnation for their treatment of the Uyghurs. And it is just impossible for me, at least, And I I want to make sure that I am careful about how I talk about this because I am not as well-versed in Chinese history and culture as I am with other parts of the world. But it is really difficult for me to view those countries' support for China without thinking how much debt is owned by China, how much trade is dependent on China, how many natural resources are controlled by China, whose military is being trained by Chinese military officials. I found this quote that I thought was so poignant from Matthew Walther in The Week. He said, I cannot believe I am typing this about a man who eight years ago said he would be walking on Mars by now, but Newt Gingrich is absolutely right. 
Our leaders are not prepared to deal with China. Not only do they lack the cunning and the willpower, they lack the requisite bargaining tools. We are in too deep, and China knows it. Any concession we could possibly demand of them will require a corresponding one that we are unable to grant. Besides, it is not clear to me that a substantial number of Americans particularly want to see our relations with China change. We are happy to buy cheap water bottles and Halloween decorations and licensed cartoon merchandise and mobile phones. We want our movies shown in Chinese theaters and our sports leagues to have large Chinese fan bases. From our home in this consumer paradise, hell looks impossibly remote. I've been thinking about this a lot since the NBA protest and the the controversy that came from an NBA official tweeting their support to Hong Kong. I don't think that corporate America, which we seeming we seem to be leaning on more and more these days to help us do the right thing, is up for this. It's not up for the challenge of sticking up for human rights when it comes to the oppressive policies of the Chinese government towards the people of Tibet, the people of Hong Kong, and the Uyghurs. They're not up for it. And this is related to conversations we're having about the State Department and American diplomacy and the policies of the Trump administration and the behavior of the president towards Ukraine and impeachment. What is our role in the world? Are we happy to sit by and let a million people experience horrific conditions in detention centers because of their religion? I understand that China is powerful and that our trade relationship and our currency relationship are complicated and, depending on your opinion, very one-sided. But I'm ashamed that as an American we would look at this and turn away because our economic interests are too caught up with the Chinese government. I am. I'm ashamed. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. 
That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think that's well said. There is an emerging theory that the world is moving toward or backward, depending on your perspective, bipolarity, that the defining issue of the modern era is the United States versus China, the way it was once the United States versus Russia. And so I think economically, it has to be true that both we are in too deep and so are they. We are quite dependent on one another, although they have a lot more people and perhaps a lot more global influence at this point because of currency. I'm not sure about that, but I think there's at least an argument to be had about it. And I think you're absolutely right, Sarah, that this speaks to how we run our State Department and our diplomacy. I also think it speaks to things like the Paris Climate Agreement, like the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action toward Iran. Because if you are going to stand up to a power like China on an issue like human rights, and I think this will be a singular moment in U.S. history, it is certainly comparable to some of the worst ethnic cleansing efforts we've seen. If you are going to stand up to China in the face of that, you need partners. And when we as Americans say we shouldn't be the world's policemen and we shouldn't be involved in everything, well, part of the reason you get involved in the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action in the Paris Climate Accords, it might not be that you agree with every single aspect of what's being negotiated. It's you say, we're here with you. We're going to work on these problems with you. That's why we're in Ukraine helping resist a Russian aggression, because we're saying to Ukraine and to Europe, we understand your concerns. We want to have your back because we're going to need you to have ours someday. And we have for the last couple of years just scoffed in the face of every effort at global partnership. And so who will stand with us against the Chinese government in defense of the Uyghurs now? I don't I don't know. It seems appropriate as we record on November 11th on a Veterans Day. For those who don't know the history, Veterans Day began as Armistice Day, the end of conflict in World War II, in which we learned that to combat the global expansion of authoritarianism and the systematic genocide of the Jewish people, we had to stand together. Partnership is important. And as the president of France recently said, NATO is brain dead. We all need to wake up. I think he was arguing that Europe needs to wake up, that they can't depend on us. And I hope that we're waking up, that the United States is somebody or that the United States is a country we want people to depend on, that we want the Uyghurs to look to the United States and know that we are their best option and we are their ally and we can help. And I can't imagine they feel like that right now. Well, I'm encouraged by bipartisan support for the Uyghurs in Congress. Please do take a look at that list and contact your member of Congress if they have any influence over advancing this legislation in the House. And please continue to think about this issue and react to what's happening there because it is really important. It doesn't surface in the news cycle every day. Sometimes the most important things happening around us are not popping up on Twitter. Sarah, what's on your mind outside of politics? Well, I watched a fantastic documentary called American Heretic. It is about the progressive Christian community in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And it was so fantastic. I was so encouraged by the stories of the people there and um, 
highly, highly encourage a viewing of American Heretic. You can check out the website in our show notes um, for future screenings and can request screenings. And I'm hoping it'll be streaming really soon so everybody can see it. I loved it. Well, I want to talk about going to the Korean spa with you in Dallas. (laughs) Sarah has previously described the Korean spa and how much she loves it. And anytime we are going to be anywhere that has a Korean spa, well, first of all, anytime we schedule any trip, Sarah's like, is there a Korean spa in this region? (laughs) And if the answer is yes, it becomes, can we go? And so we were able to narrowly squeeze it in while we were in Dallas. And I just thought I would add to your description of this because we do have many people with questions. I still have some questions after the experience. So we drive up to the Korean spa, again, in our tiny Chevrolet Spark. And it is approximately the size of a casino. Not like a Las Vegas casino, but like an Indiana casino. So a pretty big space. And you go in and you get a bracelet like you would have at Disney to charge everything Mm -hmm. to, and you pay... Like a magic band. Like a relatively modest entry fee. And then, as Sarah has previously described, there is just... From the get-go, total nakedness everywhere. And when Sarah had described this to me previously, I was like, well, I'm sure there'll be, like, towels and stuff. Let me explain to you that the towels are approximately the size of a piece of paper from a legal pad. So there's just no point. There's no point. You're just there, and you're in it. Now, lots of you have said to me, I could not do that. And I want you to know that I see you. And I hear you. I am an extra large woman in a world that celebrates extra small people and even convinces extra small women that they should look so critically at their bodies that they find something that can only be dealt with by Botox or surgery and these three-ounce bottles that cost $98 each. Um, So as much as I love Lizzo and all the other women moving us toward, like, hashtag body positivity – I do not personally feel good as hell every day, okay? And so I go into this situation, and I am kind of a nervous wreck on the inside. And then you get to, like, the scrubbing part, which Sarah loves, which involves you basically lying your naked body down on a table. And a a woman who kind of approaches you like a car that's been dropped dropped off by a man who like loves his car a little too much but it's not like a luxury car so she's going to get it really clean and she is not going to baby it in the process okay and so she starts scrubbing and there is not a millimeter of your body left untouched by the scrubbing if something is in her way she's going to pick it up and move it out of her way and then turn you over and scrub some more And then she's going to pick up a big bucket and just pour water over you again, as though you are a car being washed. (laughs) And it is a really weird experience. I will say my skin has never felt better. I did not find it particularly relaxing. I found it surprisingly easy not to look at other people's nude bodies and thus to convince myself that they weren't eyeing mine. Um, But I was really excited to get out of the nudity wet part and into the dry part where you are allowed to wear shorts and a shirt. And there are all kinds of hot rooms. All the same shorts and shirts, which is my favorite part. It's like a uniform we're all wearing, which I find equalizing. Well, I will say that you can you can. you can sort of upcharge the scrub to where there is a significant massage a point a, like portion that is more relaxing. But the scrub part is um, more pragmatic in nature. I just think <laughs> that um, Korean culture is on to something. The skin is our largest organ. And you will see often, especially in spas where there where there are a lot of um, Koreans who are clearly used to this environment, like they don't go to the, the scrub portion. They sit at these like low showers and benches and just scrub their body for longer than seems humanly possible. I'm really like in my like best version of myself. 
I have access to a Korean spa and I have graduated to the bit like I'm good enough that I can sit next to them and scrub my body myself. But like I don't get to go that often. Even the lady um, in her broken English was like, you know, scrub long time. I'm like, yeah, it's been a long time. I understand my skin was very dry and lots of it came off. Please don't judge me. Um, I would go once a week if I could. But there's not a Korean spa in Paducah, Kentucky. Um, But I do think the nudity part um, is is. So important. If every woman in the United States entered a spa-like environment like this one and got naked with a bunch of other women and saw the diversity of the human figure once a week, twice a week, whatever, once a month, like, I really feel the patriarchy, at least the beauty industrial complex, would shiver and die. I mean, because we all we see is a lot of times is the barely clothed human body through the filter of the beauty industrial complex and the mass media. And so it's just such a massive form of resistance to expose yourself to what a naked woman actually looks like or the you know, multitude of choices of what a naked woman actually looks like. And I just find it life changing. I love it so much. I love it when I see moms and little girls in there because I'm like, oh, sweet little girl, what a gift your mama is giving you. And I will say on that note, I don't have a lot of body hangups. And I think a huge part of it is, yes, I was still exposed to all that media But the women in my family, like if we traveled on vacation or my mom and my aunt and my grandmother, who I'm sure are going to love that I'm saying this to an audience of thousands right now, got naked around me and my cousins a lot. We saw them naked a lot. So I saw their bodies. I knew what a naked, you know, a woman's naked body looked like that wasn't on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. And I think that was like really impactful on me is just knowing like, no, that's not what everybody looks like naked. And I think if more of us could be exposed to that, it would be really positive. So there are basically four reasons I agreed to do this. The first one is, (laughs) I know you, and you would have thought less of me if I hadn't done it. I know you would have. (laughs) That's not true. Just a little bit, because you are a one on the Enneagram. I just wouldn't have given up. You you are a one on the Enneagram, and you believe that this is correct. And so I understand (laughs) that, like, when this is in your head, it's happening, and I just need to go along with it. Number two... We wrote a chapter in our book called Get Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable, and I do not wish to be a hypocrite. (laughs) Number three, I think it is important as a white woman who has always lived in America to recognize that, like, pretty much every space I go into is built around my comfort level. And it's a good idea to go in spaces that are not built around my comfort level to think about what that's like for other people in the spaces that are built for my comfort level, right? And then fourth, I really try when I have a decision like this to make that is hard for me and that hits a bunch of like personal, I don't know, shame, embarrassment, anxiety kind of buttons to think, what would I want Jane to do and to make that Mm. choice? And I do not want my daughter to not do something with friends that has the possibility of being fun because she doesn't think her body's good enough to show up in that room. And so that is why I did this. I would probably do it again, not once a week were it in my community. I would hit the dry (laughs) rooms once a week. Man, I love a room that's just hot everywhere. Just hot. You just lay on the floor and it's hot. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm here for that. Um, If you you are motivated by heat, this is an environment for you. It is a good place if you like to be warmed. So it was a weird day. Uh, but we did it. Because we started that day with Glenn Beck. Never forget. Glenn Beck, Korean spa, finale of the nightly or the nuance nation. It was a big day. It was, it was a all weird things. Day. And let me just say on that note, I know that it makes people uncomfortable that we went on Glenn Beck's show. I totally get that. We have a lot of discussion amongst ourselves about these things. We have a lot of discernment about these things. And we try really hard to do what our book says. Sometimes it's good to have written a book that other people, lots of them, have read because it keeps you honest in your own life. And so that's what we try to do. We totally understand if you disagree with the decisions that we make about it. And we hope that you know 
and trust our intent, at least in the process. And to update everybody who keeps asking this question, the um, our appearance on Glenn Beck's show should be airing this this week or the next week. We will obviously share that with all of you once we know the details. We'll be back here with you on Friday for five things you need to know about election reform. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 